Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. Club options with money. The Dodgers offseason has MLB devalued the regular season. That's coming up here on this episode of Dodgers Dugout Live. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. And today we have a special guest. I'm joined by the Southern California News Group's JP Hornstra. He's definitely right at the top of the list when it comes to must read Dodgers and baseball writers. JP, thank you so much for joining us today, my man. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, JP, first thing I want to say is I see you up in that press box and your jacket game is on point. Your jacket game is next level. We're talking about bombers. We're talking about the leather jackets. First thing I want to know is what goes into a great jacket? What do you look for? Great question. Great question. Uh, quality. You know, there are some things that you I think you can go cheap on, like T-shirts. I think you can go cheap on jackets. You can't go cheap on. Um, the thing about that press box, if you've been up there, it is colder than it is on the field. And you're not exposed to the sunlight. So if you have a jacket that doesn't have lining, you're going to be freezing your butt off up there. You can't have that. You can't work. You can't literally, I can't type if I'm freezing. So that's big. But then I also feel like if you want to look like a grungy sports writer, the bar is low enough that you can <laughs> clear it um, and go cheap. But I just, I mean, as long as I'm already getting something that's warm, I might as well get something that looks good too. You know what I mean? That's facts. Yeah, I just want to give you credit. Yeah, I mean, I'm up there wearing a little quarter zip. That feels like it's the MLB writers media starter pack with the quarter zips right there. But you go with the jacket, but your seat's right up in the front. Though. You're right up in the front. I'm somewhere yeah. in the broom closet, somewhere way in the back. It's not as cold, so I don't have to worry as much. But, JP, we're going to get into this one. And the first thing I want to talk about is just the regular season. You know, for the first time, back-to-back World Series, we're going to see teams that wouldn't have made the postseason before the expanded postseason. You're talking about an 84-win Diamondbacks team. You have to give a lot of credit, too. Clutch hitting. Terry Lovello has pulled all the right levers and pushed the right buttons. They've been a great team. But just how do you look at this regular season now compared to the postseason, and has MLB devalued it? Yeah. um, I think the new format, the new playoff format, uh, definitely devalues the regular season. I think that we have to remember how we got here. MLB wanted to expand to a 14-team postseason. Would that have come with a five-day layoff for the top seeds? Who knows? What would have been some of the you know secondary and tertiary effects of that? I don't know. I don't know if we're having this conversation if MLB gets its way and gets its 14-team postseason. The MLB Players Association and Collective Bargaining wanted to keep the postseason field at 10. That wouldn't have come with a 10-day layoff. We know that it just would have been status quo, the wild card games, the play-ins, um, and, and then right you're right into the division series. 
this compromise that the two sides reach is the one that gave us the five-day layoff. We know that for sure. Is it fair to say that MLB wanted that? That MLB wanted to cheapen the regular season? Eh, not necessarily, right? We don't know what that 14-team playoff field would have looked like. We just know this is the system we have. It's the system we're stuck with. It's literally a compromise. Um, and sometimes that happens, right? You have you have like, like plan A looks good and plan B looks good. And then the hybrid of plan A and plan B gives both sides what they want, but it doesn't look good, right? And I feel like that's kind of what this is. Um, so, yeah, but like you were saying, right? Like you still have to execute. Um, if you're an 84 win team, uh, or a hundred win team, you still have to drive in runners in scoring position. Uh, you still have to pitch well. You still, I think, still need. I think this playoffs have demonstrated it conclusively. I think you still need three pretty good starting pitchers to win in the postseason, and, and both of the World Series teams have that. So, um, a lot of the fundamentals are still at play. It's just two teams that nobody expected to be in the World Series are in the World Series. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, baseball is a sport where it's the toughest to repeat. It's the longest drought of any American professional sport, right? It hasn't happened in the National League since the Reds of the 70s. It hasn't happened in the entire sport since the Yankees in 2000. It just does not happen. It's tough to put together two elite seasons. You got injuries. You got players having down years. Players having good years. It's tough, it's tough to predict, but I think when you look at this, the history of the game. I mean, look at the 83-win Cardinals team that won in 2006. Baseball is a sport where the wild card can have success. I think the bigger issue, though, and I was reading your most recent piece, is about that five-day layoff. And the five-day layoff, Andrew Friedman talked about it during the press conference, that it affects hitters' timings. And one thing I love about your work, you're always throwing out these great ideas. And I loved your idea about playing a game with the American Association right there. You talked about how it would cost about $15,000 to travel them in. Like you said, it's a drop in the bucket for big league teams. They said they would be open to it. You look at their pitchers. They can throw 92 miles per hour. You got them wanting to play in front of scouts and try to get themselves a big league job. Do you think this at all is a realistic possibility that they would seriously consider, JP? Well, I, I think it's probably not at the top of the list of concerns of like Andrew Friedman or Alex Anthopoulos or Michael Elias, one of these GMs who, you know, if they're lucky enough to be a top seed again a year from now, we'll have to think about it and schedule it out in advance. But they're going to worry about free agency and trades right now. Uh, that's that's why I didn't like go survey them right now. Uh, but I did talk to, like you mentioned, the uh, commissioner of the American Association and the Atlantic League, and both of them were like, yeah. Let's do it. Let's send a team to play whoever wants us. You know, it's literally their season has just ended. Um, so it's the perfect time in the schedule. I think the most realistic, I don't even want to call it a solution, right? The, the most realistic way to work, work around, let's call it a workaround, to the fact that these top-seeded teams don't have any games that count for five days in between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the postseason is to make it count for the other team. <laughs> because if the other team is playing its butt off, I think you naturally as a competitive professional athlete are going to want to raise your game. You know, you, you don't want to get embarrassed by the American Association champion if you're the Dodgers, right? So, um, you know, I don't think you can like convince 50,000 people to come in and show up and root like it's a playoff game. I don't think you can televise it. Like literally, I don't think you can televise it. Um, but I think you can make it count for the other team. And I think you can do that, you know, and this is talking to the people involved on uh, the independent league side by bringing some scouts in and say, hey, 
you know, we're going to be watching to see how you perform against major league pitching. Show us what you got. Right. So I, I think that's probably the best workaround that I can think of sitting here in my living room, literally. Um, but uh, whether the teams are up for it or not, we'll see. Um, I, certainly, I don't think they would balk at the cost. Uh, maybe there are other logistics involved, but hey, they got time to figure it out. Like I said, they'll 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 sign their free agents, they'll make their trades, they'll they'll construct their team, and then they'll think about okay, what do we do if we have those five days off again? Yeah, and look, at the end of the day, it's still a very small sample size, right? It's just two years, but when the three 100-win teams go a combined one for nine, they all struggle offensively, and after the fact, they all talked about how they did try to simulate at-bats. They tried to have situational hittings. We saw some innings at four, five outs, different pitchers, different matchups. I was there for that game. That energy was not good, okay? I mean, there was no adrenaline there. You mentioned that in your piece, not having that adrenaline. So, JP, I don't care if they have to play the El Segundo Little League or USC or UCLA or combine the best Meyer leaguers. They have to find a way to get a real game in there to get some real feels for that game action. I just think it could be a reoccurring problem. And then you look at the World Series. I know that Fox, they pay what they pay for this World Series. It doesn't change, of course, because of who's in it. Phoenix is a pretty big market. Dallas is a big market, but you don't have those marquee names like the Braves, the Dodgers. I mean, if this continues to happen, it does feel like they're going to address it in some capacity. I hate to make an excuse for the Dodgers because transitioning here, the end of the day, they just did not hit. They forgot how to baseball during the postseason at the plate. Hit a combined 177. Mookie and Freddie go one for 21. How do you explain just the ineptitude of this Dodgers offense in the NLDS? I feel like bad luck is kind of a cop-out answer, but I think it explains more than just what happened to the Dodgers. I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr. couldn't hit either. And so you have Acuna, Freddie Freeman, and Mookie Betts, who will probably finish 1-2-3 in the MVP race in some order, were three of the worst hitters in the division series round. Uh, you know, I, I think you'll hear some version of you pick three games that they had this season, and you can find a stretch where they hit that poorly. Sure. Uh, can it happen again in the postseason? Yeah. Can it happen again if they have not been facing uh, major league caliber pitching in a competitive environment for the previous five games? I would argue that it's it's that sense of routine and that mastery of routine and the, their ability and the ability of any elite player at that level to literally do the same thing over and over again every day successfully is what makes them the best at what they do. And you've taken them out of that routine for five days. I'm sorry, that's going to have an effect. Andrew Friedman acknowledged it. I think Mookie Betts acknowledged it when somebody asked him. I, I wasn't there at the time. I didn't travel to Arizona, but somebody asked him uh, after game three, like, did the five-day layoff affect you? And he's like, no comment. Just yeah. like that. He had an answer for everything else, but that one, he did not want to go there in that moment. Now, you could say that he didn't want whatever he had to say to be construed as an excuse, and maybe that was the extent of it. But as somebody who's talked to Mookie Betts quite a bit over the last three years, if he has a thoughtful answer, he will give you a thoughtful answer. My hunch, again, don't want to put words in the man's mouth, but I'm guessing he had a lot of thoughts about that, and he just didn't want to share it in that moment.
Yeah, no, for Mookie Betts to say no comment, that speaks volumes. That really told you everything you needed to hear. And I think, look, like I said, it sounds like an excuse, but I do think it's more of an explanation than anything else. There were some warning signs. There were some red flags. Mookie, the extra bases started to fall off. He had that historic August where he had 51 hits, and he was the favorite to win the MVP at one point. Freddie Freeman talked about how he didn't like his swing over the last couple weeks of the season. So, unfortunately, they peaked a little too early. But next question I want to ask you, kind of circling back to Mookie Betts, this team in the postseason, when Mookie scores a run, they're 13 and four, 765 win percentage. When he doesn't, a seven and 13 record, a 350 win percentage. I think you could apply that to a lot of stars on a lot of teams when their best players don't produce. But do you think that this lineup is too top heavy? Do you think they're too Mookie and Freddie reliant? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, I, I think that this year they were at times and they weren't at times. I think when you had JD in there and and you had three guys who the opposing team really had to worry about pitching to, knowing that those three guys were in the lineup and and typically one other guy was hot. Maybe it was Will Smith, maybe it was Max Muncie, maybe it was Chris Taylor who had a pretty good second half. You know, maybe it was somebody else. Not every was going to be that fourth guy. It wasn't going to be that same fourth guy in every game or in every week, but usually there were four dudes who were on when JD was in that lineup. And so when I think about what, huh, let's take it back a year ago, right? We, we, if, if this was one year ago today, we would have been having the same conversation with Mookie, Freddie, and Trey Turner, right? And they lost Trey Turner. And I kind of worried that, okay, well, who's going to step up? Who's going to be that number three hitter? And Will Smith did really well in the first half, not so well in the second half, but usually there was somebody else who stepped up to make that lineup a little bit longer. Now, as we sit here today, I'm like, all right, well, they're probably going to lose J.D. Martinez. Um, if, if Shohei Otani's the DH next year, can he be that consistent guy so that it is at least three guys and maybe one, one other person? If that's the case, I'm not worried about the lineup. Um, if they don't sign Otani, if J.D. Martinez walks... If Muncie has another off year, right, it could happen, but it hasn't really happened the last two years, at least for the most part. So I'm 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 not gonna pre-worry. There, there are enough things that Dodgers <laughs> yeah. about. I'll be worrying about that. No, for sure. I mean, I look at it as look, I mean, in 2018, 2017, some of those teams you had guys contributing down the line. Look at Yasio Puig in 2018, 855 OPS, mainly batting in the seventh hole. It just doesn't feel like once you get past the heart of the lineup that you can count on guys to make something happen. Now, in your opinion, how much of that is overall approach? And you're seeing some uncharacteristic swings. They're expanding the zone in the postseason. Almost feels like they don't have that plan B, like they're driving around without a flat tire, right? And they get the flat tire and they're just stuck there because they don't have the other options. I do think that having the starting pitch and give up six runs in the first frame in the first hit game and then three in the second, I mean, not going to the plate with the leader, at least tied, definitely set them back. But what do you make of their overall approach in the postseason? Do you think that's something that they might want to change moving forward? Okay, I'm going to be a contrarian and I'm going to say no, but I, I, I'm going to explain this. I think this is really where the not seeing major league pitching for five days really comes into play because you can have an – and it's not like they're only facing BP pitching for five days, right? They're, they're facing teammates, but are their teammates being competitive with the adrenaline flowing such that they're able to locate with movement on the corners – the way that an opponent would in a real game for nine innings. I, I, I really think this is where we have to 
step back and think critically about what you know okay so this year it was the diamondbacks right and the dodgers had to face their three best pitchers in the three games and the way that their starters performed it allowed the diamondbacks to use their best relief pitchers as well the back of that bullpen was not great but the dodgers didn't see it really right so that wasn't an issue so now you're talking about let's say the best six pitchers on a a, a playoff team okay they're fighting for their lives they're the underdogs they've got the adrenaline flowing um they're hitting their locations they are following the scouting report they are dotting the corners with movement and velocity and the dodgers haven't seen that for five days they just have it um the same approach should work but it's still going to be harder right maybe not uh one for nine or whatever the the numbers were for mookie and freddie um i i forget i forget the uh, one for 16 was it I yeah think one- one okay. uh for a runner square position yeah overall i think they were one for 16. Yeah. one was an infield single by freeman right so oh, yeah. that can happen <laughs> uh, that that can happen in those situations i don't think it's a problem of an of approach I, I think that some of the things that you were saying with respect to um the consistency uh especially with mookie right he had that huge august where he was the best hitter in baseball and then he had five other months where he was either good or great, but it was not an evenly consistent performance throughout the season. Freeman's was a little bit more consistent, but like I said, you could still find three-game stretches where the pitching beat him, right, for three games. Um, I wouldn't look at this three-game series as a referendum on the Dodgers' approach so much as I would the Diamondbacks being able to line up their best pitchers, following the scouting report and executing to a T. And the Dodgers just being off their game by virtue of a five-day layoff. I, I would put all of those three things ahead of the approach. Yeah, no, it was just the stars aligned for them to have a great series. I mean, basically, was the Murphy's Law of postseason series, save for the bullpen that was outstanding. What could go wrong did go wrong. I think that I agree with you to a degree, 100%, as far as the pitching. Because they were executing pitching. I mean, a lot, a lot of people are giving them credit. I mean, they were hitting their spots. And they had the ability to line up their rotation. Go with their two top two guys for those five games. And they got a nice start from Fott, who looked good yesterday. So you got to give these guys credit. They are millionaire baseball players as well. I will say, though, it's still tough to wrap my head around this offense. It feels like the, the nerd lux from Space Jam came down and just robbed them of their powers somehow. And I will just won't understand it. But uh, I think, too, they go four for 17 with runners in scoring position. I mean, you're not creating the opportunities. During the year, they create 11 scoring position opportunities per game. But yeah, I digress. Now, I want to focus on the starting pitching because during Andrew Freeman's exit press conference, he was asked a lot about starting pitching, how much they value starting pitching, and are they going to go towards it? And look, I was really defending Friedman there and that, look, is there some secret stash of ace starters that I don't know about somewhere? Because they are hard to find. They don't grow on trades. If the Dodgers had guys to go six and seven innings, they would be throwing those guys. Kershaw was... Not 100%. Bobby Miller was a rookie. Lance Lynn, we have a TV screen on. He just gave up another home run right now, right? So they did not have the requisite pitching to have a deep postseason run. But do you think that this is going to be the offseason that they are going to consider giving a big contract to a Yamamoto, a Blake Snell, really work at the top of the market for a starting pitcher? I think they kind of have to. Um, you know, if, if you look at who's in that first tier of starters, there's like... Six guys plus Kershaw if he wants to come back. Um, 
you know, plus or minus one, really. Um, and Yamamoto's in that group. Uh, Snell's in that group. Eduardo Rodriguez is in that group. If he not not opts out, uh, Aaron Nola's in that group. Sonny Gray, if you want to throw him in there. Um, I'm forgetting somebody, uh, but that's the group. Lance Lynn is in that second group, right? I, I think uh, if you saw my piece on the uh, decisions that the Dodgers have to make with respect to their free agents, uh, with respect to uh, non-tenders and whatnot, uh, I think the $18 million option on Lance Lynn is actually a pretty interesting one. When we sit here and talk about you know this perfect world, right, where you can go out and just sign somebody who can give you six innings on a consistent basis, you know, if you want them to be six innings of like, one, two, or three earned runs every night, you're going to have, you're limiting yourself to like six dudes. And if you just want six innings, if you think that having somebody who can go six innings every fifth day is valuable, you can exercise that $18 million option on Lance Lynn. It's right there for you. And that might be a good move. Just looking at who's out there and more than that, who isn't out there. Now we have to talk about the trade market too, right? If the White Sox are going to rebuild, for example, would they trade Dylan Cease? I don't know. Um, I don't know if they know that right now, right? So there are a lot of question marks about who's going to be available in trades that we really can't answer sitting right here. Knowing how Andrew Friedman likes to approach the offseason, he'll hold the trades right here, he'll hold the free agents right here, and whichever is the best deal with respect to their budget, he will try to execute it. Uh, and hopefully Eduardo Rodriguez doesn't reject the deal because the Dodgers are on his no trade list again, <laughs> right? Uh, so there are variables like that that we have to take into account too. But you're right. The, the pool of free agents starting pitching, it, it's it's not deep. I think the Dodgers would have to make a run at one or two of the guys in the first two in, in that first tier, knowing that, you know, there's going to be some pretty good offers out there elsewhere. Um, uh, the, the Dodgers aren't operating in a vacuum with respect to their need to start for starting pitching. Uh, but if you just want innings eaters, like a guy like Lance Lynn is out there. And, and that might not be the worst move if you're the Dodgers and you just need somebody who can take down innings on a reliable basis. I didn't like his home run rate either, but that's the reality we're, li we're living in where, like you said, six inning starters just don't grow on trees. Yeah. I mean, you look around the league, a guy going at 800, uh, 183 innings that does provide some value. I think when he was with the white Sox, had a lot of bad luck because the strikeout rate was up. The swing and miss was up the fifth, the ERA, the disparity there, but the strikeout rate really plummeted with the Dodgers at 17.2%. I think there would be a pretty massive negative reaction on Twitter if they, they did pick him up, but Hey, this organization, they know what they're doing as far as value and $18 million for them is a drop in the bucket. Really? It's the years. It's not the, it's the years they don't want to pay, right? It's not the individual, but kind of going back to starting pitchers as far as the way they view it. I mean, they offered Garrett Cole, Eight years, three hundred million. A couple years ago, there were talks that they were interested in Rodon. They offered Scherzer a multi-year deal, two years. Verlander a multi-year deal. There were some rumors about that, and then Trevor Bauer, of course, they signed to that deal. They had the opt-outs, right? But the thing is, it feels like to me, it's just a case-by-case -case thing with this Dodgers team. I think they will invest in the right player at the right price. Going back to Yamamoto, just kind of what your thoughts on, just kind of what you know about him? Because my theory on Yamamoto is they'd be willing to give him a 200 plus million dollar contract because you're getting him at 25, not 30 and 31. So you're going to get those prime years out of him. You got the Japanese heritage in Los Angeles. Of course, the Mets are major players, the Cardinals, lots of teams out there going to try to go after him. But what are your thoughts, Yamamoto, just as a whole? Uh, I, I think you're right to point out the age. Uh, it, it stacks up more favorably than anybody else. The Dodgers are going to be able to sign in free agency. Certainly 
Lancelin's going to be 36 next year, so that's a red flag. But one thing I will caution with, though, as somebody who's covered a number of Japanese pitchers coming to America, and you know what, I'll throw Hyunjin Ryu in there too, uh, coming over from Korea. There was always something in the medicals. <laughs> like, throw the age out the window, right? These guys were throwing more pitches at younger ages over there because of the protocols that really aren't in place uh, in, in Asian leagues that are in place in little league and in college ball uh, for American pitchers. Well, well, college, college ball has some exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, you're not going to see a college coach throw a bona fide major league prospect out there beyond like a hundred pitches uh, in a given start. Um, you know, knowing that those guys are pitching every seven days as opposed to every four or five, like they are here. So, um, there are factors that I think will come up in the physical that could pose a red flag. And I think it would be naive to think that there's no damage to his elbow or shoulder. He's a pitcher. He's coming from Asia. This is what happens. Um, it's just how you want to mitigate that risk. Like if you think that he can pitch for you in 2024 and be somebody who fills that innings eater role at the top of your rotation, you go ahead and roll out the carpet and give him what he's asking for. But I think if you know that there is a major surgery looming on the horizon, whether that's the labrum surgery that Hyunjin Ryu had to have, basically a ticking time bomb from the time the Dodgers signed him. With Kenta Maeda, it was reported there are irregularities in his elbow. Obviously, the Angels knew that Shohei Otani's elbow was going to be due for Tommy John sooner rather than later, and ultimately it wound up being two in six years, right? So... Um, you might have to bake that into the contract. And if you're the Dodgers and you need somebody who can throw 200 innings for you in 2014 or, or something in that vicinity, maybe Yamamoto isn't the guy. I haven't seen his medicals. I don't want to comment. I don't want to overextend my expertise. Each guy is, like you said, going to be treated on a case-by-case -case basis. I just know that that's been literally a red flag for every Asian pitcher that I've covered who signs with the team in free agency. That's such a great point, JP. If you can see that, you're bringing me down to earth on my Yamamoto. I was already ordering my Dodgers Yamamoto jersey. I love me some Japanese pitchers. His age, he's 5'10", not the biggest guy. Like you said, he's basically a lot of these pitchers coming from overseas. They all tend to have something going on with their arms. A lot of them pitching, them, pitching with that check engine light on, right? So if you're the Dodgers, it's a big risk, especially if you want to win next season. If you want to maximize Freddie and Mookie's prime and get back to the fall classic, maybe it's too big of a risk. And for me, I think you need two frontline guys. I know Walker Beale, of course, he's coming back. I have all the faith in the world that he's going to do everything in his power to get back to elite status. Bobby Miller, hopefully he emerges, possibly an all-star next year, coming off a really successful rookie season. You got Emmett Sheehan. You got Ryan Pepio. Who knows if Clayton Kershaw returns? But I'm with you on the trade route. I think you got to cash on some of these prospects. If a, if a Dylan Cease, a Corbin Burns, a Mitch Keller, some of these guys become available I think you explore the trade route, but sometimes that could only happen during the season. And we haven't seen a big trade during the season after the postseason has expanded. So I always say Andrew Freeman, he likes to get that Halloween candy the day after Halloween, right? When you get a little value out of it. So do you expect them to aggressively pursue the trades as well as going after a free agent pitcher? Maybe do both. I expect him to do both. Um, I mean, trying to remember how long the Mookie Betts trade was in discussion before it actually it was at least a month right it was announced I want to say right at the beginning of February uh like right before spring training but you know they've been talking about it all winter more or less so um not a pitcher obviously but 
Andrew Friedman isn't afraid to talk blockbuster trades in the offseason. So I, I wouldn't categorically rule that out sitting here today. Um, you know, Cease is a, is a guy who comes to mind on a team that's in an obvious need of a rebuild, and he is a front-of-the-line starter. There aren't a lot of guys like that out there who check all those boxes, right? So yeah. uh, let's be realistic. But at the same time, yeah, I think I think we can't rule that route out sitting here today. Absolutely. And White Sox natural trade partner can totally see that. Now, this is probably the longest I've ever gone through a show, JP, without mentioning the name Shohei Otani. So I'm proud of myself, but now we're going to get into it. So Shohei Otani, of course, for the most coveted free agent in baseball history. Now, all the rumors, all the insiders have the Dodgers as the favorite. Now, in your opinion, what I want to know is, do you think this is a situation where this is the first time where you got a massive free agent that the Dodgers are going to say, we're going to give you anything I want. We're going to give you the Godfather offer. We're going to match any offer because with Bryce Harper, they wanted him. They gave him an offer of four years, 180 million. We don't know what they offered judge, but they were in the mix, but he was always going to go back to New York. Same with Garrett Cole. Do you think this is a situation where they've been angling for this for years and they're going to do whatever it takes to get their guy? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I need to hear. We're good. Next question. Yeah. I mean, look, well, I mean, I, I haven't, I, okay. Confession time, I have not been tuning into the show every week, but it sounds like you've been talking about Otani somewhat uh, prior to today. So, like, really, I don't think there's that much to say right here that hasn't already been said. I I think that it's what's interesting to me right now on Otani Watch is how the other teams who can realistically say they have a shot at signing him are trying to position themselves, um, you know, ag- effectively against the Dodgers, right? Since they are the favorites. And we look at the Giants. Just literally today, they made the Bob Melvin official, uh, higher official. Um, would Otani rather play for a Bob, uh, a Bob Melvin managed team than a Gabe Kapler managed team? I think these are kind of the things that we can start to ask ourselves now, but that you know, teams in the position of the Giants have been asking themselves internally for weeks, if not months, um, because that's how long, I mean, years, really, teams have been looking forward to being able to sign Shohei Otani. Um, you, you know that a team, for example, the Mariners, right? We know they really wanted to sign Shohei Otani the first time around, and they made their choices, and here they are. I think they're in a bit better position to sign him than they were six years ago. But if you're a team that just missed the playoffs by, like, a game or two, um, what are you going to be doing now to signal to Shohei Otani, hey, we want to make you the centerpiece of our team going forward for the next 10 years, right? Because that's probably what we're talking about, unless he's willing to take a bridge contract, try again in a year when his elbow is healthy and he can actually be a two-way player. I guess we can't rule that out. My hunch is that he's probably just going to want the long-term deal now, and this is going to be a one-shot deal. We've seen teams bake in the the Tommy John rehab into these long-term contracts before. Um, We're going to see it again. It's only going to become more common, right? I think 34% of all pitchers (laughs) who who have MLB last year have had this. So, like, it's an interesting factor, but it's not a deterrent. Um, It just sucks for the Dodgers because they need a front-of-the-line starting pitcher uh, next season. So how did they bake that in? Eh, I don't know. Um, so, you know, there are factors like that, that intrigue me, but I'm trying to see what, like, what are the Mets going to do? Right. There's, there's rumor now that, 
um, the Mets might uh, hire Craig Council. Uh, will Craig Council be uh, a more favorable manager if Otani's willing to go to the East Coast? Like, I don't know, but that's kind of what I'm watching right now. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think you, you look at Shohei Otani, you could throw in some options, right? He could take a deal where he comes back next year and signs an even bigger deal. But I just think we look at his marketing benefits, his sponsorship opportunities. He's such a massive superstar. They're going to have teams out there that are still going to be willing to give him the same bag that they were going to give him because he's worth that based on what he can do at the plate as a hitter. And if he comes back and he provides value as a starting pitcher, even coming out of the bullpen, you can move him to the outfield. He's just such a massive star. I just think he's going to have all the leverage in the world. The money's going to be there with whatever marquee franchise wants him, right? I mean, if the Mets want him and Stephen Cohen wakes up one day and says, I want Shohei Otani, I'm going to throw $600 million at him. I'll bring back the Concord jet so he can get back to Japan faster. Maybe he does that. The Dodgers, second behind the Yankees in revenue, worth over $4 billion. They can afford him. $8.25 billion spectrum deal, right? They can get him. But I think if I'm Shohei Otani, one thing I want to ask you is, He's such a calculated guy, right? Everything's close to the vest. He knows what he's doing. He's someone that if he wants to win, the Dodgers are the one team that can look him square in the eye and say, we've been to the postseason the last 11 years. Yes, we haven't won it every single year, but if you sign with the Dodgers, we're going to get you a ticket to the dance. And I think if I'm showing Otani, a guy who's desperate to just make it to the postseason, that would be rewarding. Stay in the same market, stay on the West Coast, a marquee franchise. Uh, You mentioned the Giants. JP, when I wake up at 3.30 in the morning in a cold sweat in a nightmare, that's the jersey I envision him in is the Giants. But the Dodgers just make so much sense to me. Yeah, I, I think the Giants are in a financial position, too, where they can kind of back up the drinks truck. I, I don't think that we – say this carefully because I don't know what the Dodgers' internal budget looks like, right? That's, that's kind of the asterisk hanging over all of this. But the Dodgers really wanted to get under the luxury tax last year, and they couldn't. And and I don't know how much of a factor that is. I don't know if or how it will limit what they can offer Otani relative to other teams. Um, but that's why I do think that, like you said, being able to play in the same market. Look, we would be naive to think that Otani hasn't spent the last six years building up important relationships here. Uh, his agent is here. Uh, he has trainers here, uh, and the trainers that he doesn't have here are not going to be any closer because <laughs> they're in Japan. So uh, you can't really get any closer than, than you are in Los Angeles. So that matters. Um, I don't know how much the money matters, see, because so much of it comes from endorsements. How much does an extra $10 million from Stephen Cohen matter uh, if, if the endorsements that he's able to get are here in Los Angeles, uh, equivalent to what he would be able to get in New York? I mean, he's already by far and away the most marketable player in, in terms of dollars and cents in Major League Baseball. Aaron Judge is a distant, distant second. So how much is, is playing in New York helping Aaron Judge, right? Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know that that's a factor. Um, and, and, and the Mets paid a luxury tax last year, too, obviously. And, and look at how far it got them. So I, I think the Dodgers case is pretty plain and simple. I, I don't know that, you know, them playing in the World Series this year necessarily would have even helped them that much because look at who is playing in the World Series. Um, you know, if, if it was the Mets and the Padres, I think this would be a different conversation. But it's not. It's the Diamondbacks and the Rangers. The, the Diamondbacks and the Rangers going to go to Shohei Otani and say, we were in the World Series last year. Can't, can't, you know, can't do any better than that. Sign with us. Does that help them? I don't know. Um, so, 
I, I think the Dodgers are in as good a place as any team uh, with respect to, you know, the pitch that they can sell him. I think it's just a question of how much money do they have and how much does that matter in the grand scheme of things. And if you're Shohei Otani, the most endorsable player in the sport, I don't know. I really don't. He checks off so many boxes, JP. I mean, even when he comes back, you go to a six-man rotation with all the pitching depth that they do have. I just, I can't envision him on another team, but it's going to be the winter of Otani. So we'll do some rapid ones on some of the current players that have club options, current ones that are free agents. I'm going to start with the bullpen now. Ryan Brazier, he was a godsend for this bullpen. A 729 ERA in Boston, 21 innings of work, a .70 ERA in 38 and two-thirds innings with the Dodgers. When he joined the mix, they went from one of the worst bullpens in the league to one of the best. He was fantastic. It almost feels like to me, though, I would love to have him back. They almost priced himself out of L.A. with how good of a second half he had. Yeah, I, I think that's that's accurate. You know, he reminds me a lot of Chris Martin, uh, who the Dodgers acquired a couple of years ago from the Cubs and was pretty much the best reliever in baseball from that point on. And I think if you're at that point in your career and they were roughly, you know, mid thirties, um, similar ages as they're approaching free agency, if you get a multi-year deal, you take it. And, and I don't know that the Dodgers are willing to extend themselves on a multi-year deal to Ryan Brazier, um, especially when you have the option on Joe Kelly, who hasn't been as healthy, was but basically fills the same role. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to look deep into who the Dodgers have coming up from AAA and whether they have a right-hander who they feel can kind of offer that same pitch mix because that's kind of how they look at it, right? Is is the guy coming from the same arm angle? Is he throwing the same velocity, the th same pitches? If you have somebody who you think you can plug into the, the Ryan Brazier role at AAA, maybe you go that route. Um, but I think Brazier is going to have a multi-year contract offer. And I think when the Dodgers think about their priorities – with respect to Otani and with respect to the starting pitchers that they're looking at, those guys take top priority and probably Brazier is going to take that multi-year deal if he gets it elsewhere. I agree with you. You look at the volatility of pitchers and especially bullpen pieces in general. This organization knows that they can find guys. They can find the reclamation projects. You can find the Chris Martins, like you mentioned. And I'm fine with that when it comes to the relievers. The relievers, I know you can go out there and find the Chris Martins. When it comes to starters at this point moving forward, I don't want the Noah Syndergaard's, right? I want to pay full retail. I don't want to shop on the dollar menu for the reclamation projects for the starters anymore. Right? I don't want the Cole Hamill situations, all that stuff like that. I think for relievers, though, I'm 100% fine if you let him walk and you go out and find and another guy you mentioned joe kelly joe kelly is a very interesting one to me a nine and a half million dollar club option one million dollar buyout with the dodgers a 174 era and 10 to third innings of work his numbers as far as era were high with the white Sox, but you look at his fit solid if you look at strikeout rate striking out batters at a higher clip than he had throughout his whole career the whiff rate was up i mean the velocity was up he's a fan favorite there's a freaking mural of him at the stadium Right. I mean, I think either they pick up that option or maybe you circle back and maybe you look if he finds a deal somewhere else and you get him on a cheaper deal later in free agency. Yeah, I think the fact that they can just basically exercise the option and then not think about that role again um, is really tempting if you're the Dodgers. Um, I think the only thing that mitigates your temptation is the fact that Kelly has pitched in fewer and fewer games every season. Uh, throughout the pandemic year since I think 2018, something like that, like five years in a row. And there have been some injuries in there. And so you always worry about that. But when you think about what he might be able to command on the open market, given, like you said, some of the peripheral stats that he showed with the White Sox and then the counting stats, the more traditional stats that he had with the Dodgers, 
he's still Joe Kelly. Like he's still one of the better setup men in baseball when he's healthy. So uh, that is a very interesting one. I, I think if it fits within their budget, I think they do it. I think that if they don't, it's also completely <laughs> sorry to be wishy-washy, but I think it's also completely don't exercise that option. Yeah, no, I'm with you on the injuries. I mean, we saw in 2021, he was great. Then bicep injuries done for the CS. And this year, there was some forearm issues. It's always something with Joe Kelly. But when he's on the mound, he's still an elite reliever. And at that price, we talked about it's not about the money. It's about the years. I do think it makes some sense. Blake Trinan, haven't heard too much about Blake Trinan. Of course, we know that he elected to not have surgery and that prolonged his recovery time he made it back last year and the Diaz gave the home run to Cronenworth he's dealt with injuries do you think he's back uh I I think he's back but not with the option that they exercise look I, I think Trinan obviously liked what the Dodgers did for his career um you know reviving him and and, and, and giving him a chance to pitch I think he's also at an age he's I think 36 I want to say where you know, if you're, if your doctor tells you like, look, you can get the surgery, but you're looking at like a year long rehab where you might not get back to the picture you were before. I don't blame him for not choosing to get the surgery. You know, I would probably roll the dice too, if I made that much money in my career. So I think if Trident wants to come back on like a minor league deal or a lesser value contract uh, in terms of the money, uh, the Dodgers are a great place to to try to roll the dice with, um, given their track record with guys at that stage in their career. I just don't think they exercise the option. I was trying to peg down how much money it is. I know that if he had actually like pitched in the majors this year, it would have been worth more. So it's probably not that high priced. But I also just look at him as somebody who didn't pitch in the last year and really wasn't good enough to crack the Dodgers bullpen. Granted, one of the best bullpens in the second half that kind of guy typically at that age gets a minor league deal. Yeah. The range is weird with trying. It's like one to 7 million based on of course what he went through. Right. I mean, for him, if they have patience and he feels okay in this organization, I'm willing to bring him back too, just not on that club option. Like you mentioned, it feels like though, look at the club options. Daniel Hudson's an interesting one just because I mean, he was outstanding before he tore his ACL in 2022. He came back and then he got injured again. No one knows if he wants to continue to pitch at that price. It's a little steep, but it feels like the no brainer. The only one that's a lock is Max Muncy at 14 million. Would you agree? I, I would agree. I would agree. And anybody who's looking at his batting average and discounting his value can just log off right now. <laughs> you, you look, he's just the prototypical Dodger hitter. He's patient. He's selective. He draws his walks. He hits home runs. I, I, I don't think he's really showing the full range of his talents in a, on a team where Freddie Freeman is locked into first base because you can move him to first or second or third. And he's competent, right? Like, you know, he's, he's not going to be the guy that you necessarily plug in there for 162 games a year. But again, talk about the typical Dodgers, you know, player. He's versatile on defense too, if Freddie Freeman ever gets hurt. So, um, you know, and maybe he's the DH next year if they fail to sign Otani and, and you have to move something around, uh, get a more reliable defensive third baseman in there. Maybe he's your DH. He's a great DH. So I like Muncie at 10 million, or it is 10 million, right? Well, the incentives up to 14 million, right? Even that 36 home runs, 105 RBI teams would line up around the block for that kind of production. Yes, defensively, he's grayed out poorly. There's no doubt about that. But 
You're not going to have gold glovers at every single position. You mentioned as a contingency plan for Otani. I agree with you. He's basically a DH playing third base. Can't play some second. It was really profiling as a gold glove first baseman. At one point, we know there's someone that's currently there named Freddie Freeman that is going to be playing that position. So I agree with you. He's really the only guy you bring back. But kind of last question I want to ask you here, JP, as far as the mindset of this organization, right? It feels like they're very calculated. They always have a plan. Do you think that, the outcome of these last two postseason runs where you won 211 combined games, but just one postseason game. Do you think that's going to force them to be more aggressive? Or do you think that this is an organization that has had their plan in place for years now and they're just going to go out and execute it? Well, I think they're going to be more aggressive because of who's available this offseason. Talking specifically about Otani and Yamamoto. I mean, the Dodgers have had their eyes on Yamamoto since practically since Andrew Friedman walked into the front office. And so they didn't get him the first time around because he probably wanted to DH. Well, now that they do, like I said, they're going to be as aggressive with him as they possibly can. That has more to do with their love for Shohei Otani. I've talked to people within the organization that think he's literally the best baseball player of all time. If you can't back up the Brinks truck for that guy, who can you, right? Um, and that's that would have been true whether they were still playing in the World Series or not. Um, to the extent that I think the um, early exits the last two seasons affect their plans, this just isn't a team that looks at a three-game sample and says, let's look at this three-game sample and figure out what we did wrong in those three games and address that. Like They just don't think that way. And neither would you if your season consisted of 165 games, right? And you had five days off between the first 162 and the last three Frankly, I'm looking at those five days off and, and what do, how do we manipulate that um, rather than how do we nip, manipulate our entire 40-man roster based on the outcome of these last two best of five series. Um, it, it, it's, it's the system that they've been dealt. It's the system the Braves were dealt. It's the system the Orioles were dealt. Last year, it was the system the Mets were dealt. Last year, it was the system the Braves were dealt and it failed every single one of those 100 win teams. If you think this is a Dodger problem, get your head out of the sand. Look at what's happening around major league baseball. It's the playoff structure. It's not a Dodger thing. It's an MLB playoff structure thing. Preach JP. No, I mean, it's interesting how the narrative would be so different if they were healthy, if they were just able to advance in this series, of course they couldn't foresee what happened to Julio Urias. If he's still with the team and he gets back on track, he's probably your game one starter, right? You win game one, everything changes. Bobby Miller going to game two with confidence. He has a good start. You go up 2-0. You beat the Diamondbacks. Then the narrative is this is the Dodgers team that won 100 games in their rebuild year, in their transition year, and it's Dave Roberts' manager of the year, right? So so interesting how narratives change in baseball. I agree with you. I hate to sound like a guy who's making excuses, but the five-day layoff and then coupled with the fact that you're going against a wild card team that just is hot because they've advanced in a series there's something to be said about it love what you said about Shohei Otani about people within the organization saying he's the best player he's ever seen I've seen enough I don't care we have $200 Micheladas $300 Dodger dogs parking is $500 that's the Otani tax give him an ownership stake make him Shohei owner Tani I don't care what it takes I need him in Dodger blue more I need oxygen but Thank you so much, JP, for joining us. We really appreciate your expertise, your insight. I recommend all you guys out there follow JP Hornster over on Twitter and Instagram. And also read all of his stuff for the Southern California News Group. He's a must-read for all Dodgers fans everywhere. But thank you so much, JP, and have a great offseason, my man. Thanks for having me, man. Take care. I take these, JP.
That was J.P. Hornson. Like I said, you guys are not doing this Dodgers fan thing right unless you're reading his stuff. Always comes with some great ideas, great insight with the team. He got me excited and re-energized all over again for Shohei Otani because it does feel like within the organization, based on people I've talked to myself too, that this team wants him in Dodger blue. This Dodgers team, they get what they want. They wanted Mookie Betts. They wanted to extend Mookie Betts. They did that, right? The issue is they don't always want every single player, right? You can't have 10 guys making over $300 million. They didn't desperately want Carlos Correa. They didn't desperately want Aaron Judge. They desperately want Shohei Otani. I think they're going to do everything in their power. They have the financial muscle. They have the roster. They have the depth. They have the location. They have everything you could ever want if you're Shohei Otani. And I'm going to go down below in the comment section, spend the rest of the show getting some feedback from you guys about we got Shuhi for Shohei. The Shuhi for Shohei is going to be epic. The Shuhei Otani, when we sign Otani, is going to be epic. Even if we don't sign him, I'm going to do probably more Shuhis. I'll do one Shuhi if we do sign Shohei. I'll do like 10 if we don't, because I'm going to need it to drown my sorrows. Craig Osterberg says, give Otani Dodger dogs for life. Boomer Sasson, yeah, his Lance Lynn take was so wrong. No, look, I mean, look, we know we call him on this show. You always call Lance Lynn. He's Noah Syndergaard with a beard, right? We call him Lance Lindergaard around these parts. And he does what he was trying to say, though, is if you're a team like the Dodgers, right, and you go out there and you make a trade for a big impact starter, right, you sign an impact starter, you have Bueller coming back, you have Bobby Miller, you have Emmett Sheehan, Ryan Pepio, you have Gavin Stone, you have lots of pieces. For an organization like the Dodgers, who is probably going to pay the tax again, why not just have him as debt for $18 million because you can win games? Because last time I checked, I'm seeing all over Twitter and all over Instagram and all over Dodger posts that the regular season doesn't matter anymore. If the regular season doesn't matter anymore, maybe someone like Lance Lynn can pitch deep into games, take that wear and tear off of the bullpen, off of starters, and you kind of use them as a break in case of emergency type pitcher. And that really is the case. That's how he could provide value. Now, like I said, how many times the pitcher could have 44 home runs in the second consecutive year? Who knows about that? So I'm not saying I would love the move. I'm saying that that's what makes sense about it if you do want to consider it. But uh, a couple more. We got Lindergaard. What up, Gary A? Always rock with us. You know, I appreciate you over on YouTube. Raul says, let's build them from the bottom. Atari. Yes, it's good, but he's already blown up. You know, I'm Ron Burgundy. I just read comments without reading them, so I'm not sure what that meant. But Nandy, $398 million for Lynn. He's worth like five. He's worth like a a bucket of baseballs in a, a half eaten bag of Cheetos. Let's be honest about that. No, but look, it just depends on what they value. And like I said, it's not outside the realm of possibility. This is an organization that's going to explore every option they do have. They're not just going to reject every club option. They're going to look at the net benefits, weigh the pros and cons. And that's why it's an organization that's had a lot of sustained success. It's moves on the margins like that. Otani may be expensive, but he will make tons of money for the Dodgers. That's from Jay say, yeah, that is one of the biggest factors for me because most of these guys, I don't care if you're a Mike Trout, if you're an Aaron judge, if you're some of these guys, yes, you sell a lot of jerseys, right? But how many people are going to those games just to see Aaron judge, right? I've been in New York. I didn't care who was on the team. It was like a rock, right? I just want to go see the pinstripes, right? Same thing with other franchise players and other teams. Dodgers games. How many people buy a ticket just to see Mookie Betts? Mookie's a great player, but you want to see the Dodgers. Shohei Otani is one of the few players in baseball history that you want to play 
you want to go, you want to pay to watch him play. You want to pay for Otani so you can tell your friends, so you can tell your grandkids, so you can tell your cousins and everyone else that you saw Shohei Otani play. That is the top tier of athlete, the Michael Jordans. I saw Michael Jordan play when it was Kobe versus the Wizards. I saw Kobe drop 55 on MJ in 2003. I tell people about it every single day. You talk about the greats of the games. That is the difference maker. And like you said down below in the comment section, that that's going to be a big factor because that is what moves the needles. And you talk about just the international. I also think you're paying for history. You're paying for the history book. You're paying for the documentaries because if Shohei Otani wins a World Series with the Dodgers, that is a part of the 32nd, the 32nd MLB history all-time clip. Right, that's how impactful he is. Of course, I can go all day about Otani, but let's read some more novel concept. Get some quality starters. I love the sarcasm there from Dave S down below in the comment section. Justin Lamas always rock with us. I appreciate you. I like an Arenado deal. Don't see St. Louis trading him elsewhere, though. Let alone to LA. I can tell you from people that I've talked to that cover the St. Louis Cardinals that the Cardinals they want to win next year. The Cardinals are going to be competition for starting pitching out there. They're trying to fortify their rotation. Also, if you're the Cardinals, the birds on the bat, do you want to shake hands with the enemy? Because those are the two flagship franchises in the National League, in the senior circuit, the Cardinals and the Dodgers. Personally, I can't see them doing that. I just don't see that happening. But uh, if it is an option, I would definitely pursue it because he's on a very favorable contract based on how good he still is. Nando 390, Nando. Trey Turner is the Kershaw position player of October. Ouch. Michael Carrillo, we need a caretaker third baseman until Jake Geloff is ready. I like the Jake Geloff mention there. By the way, I didn't even ask him really about Kershaw because I think it's obvious at this point. I don't even think it's a talking point. Kershaw has three options. Dodgers, Rangers, retire. But he's not going to decide. His shoulder is going to decide for him. Medical experts are going to decide for him. If he can be effective, go at least 100 innings, and the velocity is still there. The field of the slider is still there. He's going to continue to pitch, and it will be for the Dodgers. That's all you need to know. That's just the reality with Clayton Edward Kershaw. Yamamoto and Otani or don't tell me you want to win. Dustin, I like it, but if you didn't listen to what he had to say about Yamamoto, he made some very interesting points out there about the injury history of Japanese players and players from overseas. And if you want to win next year, as great as Yamamoto is, as much potential as he has, there's no denying that, He's still an unknown at the big league level. He is still someone that you want to see his medicals. So it makes you wonder if next year is the all-in year, which is the first of, I'm hoping, two or three all-in years. If you do sign Otani, can Yamamoto help you next year? That's the big question. Are you better served by going way with a more proven commodity, a NOLA, someone like that, a Sonny Gray, a Snell, and then exploring the trade market for a Cease, a Burns, a Glassdown, a Keller, guys like that. But guys, that's going to, Wrap it up for this show. That's going to do it for this episode of Dodgers Dugout Live. I'll read some more here, do some walk-off shots here. We got Tito says he hasn't won anything or even shown that he's a good playoff player. You're talking about Shohei Otani, I'm assuming. He hasn't gotten the opportunity, but what did you see in the World Baseball Classic when he struck out Mike Trout, when he gave a speech to his team before the game? Shohei Otani is the ultimate competitor. It just hasn't gotten that opportunity. So he will with the Dodgers next year. One thing I say about this franchise, they will get to the postseason. You might have a heartbreaking postseason where you underperform, but you are going to get there. We got Gary A. I want to see the Dodgers get a workhorse and ride him seven, eight, nine innings, old school way. Gary A. Nando says Lance Lynn got kicked out of 
a hometown buffet. Finish him. Boomer assassin Lancelin shuts down hometown. Okay, what is this is going off the rails, and that is the point where we got to head out of this. But thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Alex points out as well. Did you not watch the WBC? But uh, we got Nando still talking about the hometown buffet. Diane Schroeder, the fairy godmother of the Dodgers Nation live stream, says, per my experience in coaching tennis, okay, interesting, we got uh, Victor Banyos, Otani Wood, let's bring it. All right, we're going to end on that. But thanks again, guys, for rocking with us here on the Dodgers Nation post-game show. Oh, actually, here on the Dodgers, on Dodgers Dugout Live. Appreciate you. If you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the channel. That way you'll be eligible for all of our giveaways, and you'll see all of our interviews, and you're going to those notifications so you won't miss a thing about Dodger baseball all all season long. My name is Doug McKay. My friends call me DMAC. You can follow me on X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. Remember, nothing brings us together quite like Dodger baseball. Until next time, think blue, bleed blue, and I'm out. In a roaring stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. home. 